Can I ask you please to turn back in your Bibles to um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. That was page 1177. 1177. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. I'll pray for a moment. Thank you, Lord, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now make us strong in you and in your mighty power. For Jesus' sake, amen. On the 6th of June, 1944, D-Day the Allied forces landed hundreds of thousands of troops in Normandy in France. More Allied uh, troops had crossed from North Africa to the boot of Italy and were making their way northwards. And at the same time, the Russians were closing in on the eastern borders of Germany. The war in Europe was effectively decided at that time. Hitler had lost far too many men. He had run out of resources. There was no way he could win the war. But did Hitler concede victory at that time? No. It wasn't until nearly a year later, the 8th of May, 1945, that the Nazi forces surrendered and VE, Victory in Europe Day, was declared and celebrated. And you probably know that between D-Day and VE Day, some of the fiercest and bloodiest fighting of the entire war took place. At this season of Advent, we are mindful of two episodes that are absolutely critical for our understanding of God's dealings with the human race. We look back to the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby in a manger and to his sinless life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection and his victorious ascension. That, if you like, is D-Day and of that great victory Paul has had much to say in the previous chapters of Ephesians. But as Christians, we also look forward to that great day when Jesus will return, to heal all wounds, to wipe away every tear, to usher in the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. That, if you like, will be VE Day. But for the time being, We live between those two great comings of our Lord. We occupy the interval between the already and the not yet. And there is fighting yet to be done. Our enemy, though already vanquished, has not yet left the battlefield. And he has not yet conceded defeat. The victory is assured, but the soldiers of Christ must defend the ground that their captain has won for them. 
Christians then are to take a stand, says Paul in verse 11 of our passage this morning. They are to stand their ground, verse 13. They are to stand firm, verse 14. The Christian commission is summed up in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. Now, two questions arise from this commission. Be strong in the Lord. And they're the questions why and the question how. Let's deal with these each in turn. Firstly, why are we to be strong in the Lord? Well, according to verses 10 to 13, because our enemy is scheming and powerful. We're to be strong in the Lord because our enemy is scheming and powerful, verses 10 to 13. Verse 11, indeed, refers to the devil's schemes or wiles. And scripture has much to say about his cunning. The devil can transform himself into an angel of light. He can appear as a, weep, as, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. He can be as subtle as a serpent. He is the great deceiver. And, of course, the devil's trump card is to convince, convince people that he doesn't even exist. The devil is scheming. Our enemy is scheming. Our enemy is also powerful. Look at that description in verse 12, which speaks of the superhuman power of the devil and of his evil forces. Our struggle, says Paul, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemies then are not human, they're superhuman. Christians are not called to fight the heathen or the heretics, still less one another. Our quarrel as God's quarrel is with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't really think that Paul is thinking primarily about the occult here or about demon possession, real as the devil's activities are in those areas. I think that in context, the apostle has in mind a devilish activity at a yet more alarming level than the occult. Devilish activity at the level of ordinary, everyday life. Glance back, if you will, just over the page to chapter 4 and verse 27. When Paul says, do not give... No, it's still on the same page, isn't it? 1176. Uh, 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 chapter 4, verse 27, and Paul says there, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, is he referring to exorcism? No. He's referring to anger management. And it's that in that kind of area that the devil has most of his daily fun. To be sure, people are responsible for their own attitudes and acts of anger and greed and unbelief and pride and discord and so on. But they are aided and abetted by the suggestions, the inducements, the threats 
and the false promises of the evil one, of the devil. As far as Christians are concerned, however, Satan can advise, but he cannot compel. Just like parents and teenagers, really. Christians can and should defend themselves against the onslaughts of the devil. Which is why Paul says, be strong in the Lord. We should be strong in the Lord because the devil is scheming and powerful, but because it is possible and necessary to arm ourselves against his onslaughts. Which brings us then to our second question, how are we to be strong in the Lord? Answer, by putting on the full armour of God. Verses 14 to 17. We're strong in the Lord when we put on and put to good use the full armour of God. One baby in nearly half a million is born with a condition called severe combined immunodeficiency disease. And that's a disease that leaves a child with no defences against infection. For such children, life is full of peril. Similarly, the Christian who is not protected by the armour of God is defenceless against the attacks of the evil one. Now, I can only offer the briefest of outlines of the six items of armour that Paul gives us uh, in this passage. If you want a fuller version and have about a year to spare, then I would recommend to you um, a book, a very famous book by William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armour. Gurnall was born in Kings Lynn and ministered at that lovely church in Lavenham in Suffolk in the 17th century. He wrote one book, The Christian in Complete Armour. It's 1,200 pages long, and it's not a page too short as far as I'm concerned. It is, outside of the Bible, my very favourite Christian book, I think. But I must be much briefer than that this morning. The belt of truth is the first item in the Christian's armour. The Roman soldier would tuck his lower garments into his belt and thus be ready for action. And as far as truth is concerned, Paul has already written about it more than once in earlier chapters of Ephesians. For example, in chapter 4 and verse 25, each of you, he says, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour. To wear the belt of truth, then, is to speak and act with inner truthfulness, or what we might call integrity. I fear that many Christians are unprepared for serious action because we lack real integrity. And this stunts our prayer life. In our untruthfulness, we place ourselves at a moral distance from God. And lack of integrity also impedes our Christian work and witness. For how can we speak plainly about other people's need for forgiveness and new life when our own lives are knowingly tainted with unforgiven thoughts and actions. We need to make sure we have buckled on the belt of truth. Second item in the armour is the breastplate of righteousness. 
a breastplate uh, protecting the soldier's vital organs, both from the front and indeed from the rear. In chapter 4 and verse 24, Paul says, Put on, dress yourselves with the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There is, of course, a righteousness that comes as a free gift from God, in which we stand where Christ stands before the Father, justified, because Christ stood where we stood before God, condemned. But there is also a righteousness which flows from that in gratitude and in loving obedience. Christians are not only counted righteous before God, they are called to be righteous before God. Potiphar's wife put grave temptation in Joseph's way. Come to bed with me, Joseph, she kept on saying. But Joseph had his breastplate of righteousness in place. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? Let Christian soldiers leave no chink in their armour by neglecting what they know to be a right action. The belt of truth then and the breastplate of righteousness. Now thirdly, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. A slightly odd phrase, I understand it as follows. I've been putting well um, uh, boots with, with a good tread on your feet in these tricky conditions in the ice and the snow. Well, the gospel is the absolute foundation of our faith, and we must have a firm foothold in it, the gospel. If we do, we will be able to stand firm when the enemy assails us with doubts and fears. The devil may try to throw you off balance by whispering in your ear, you're not good enough for God. But you can stand firm by by replying, I know I'm not good enough for God. But according to the terms of the gospel, I have peace with God, not because of who I am or what I have done, but because of who Christ is and what, what he has done for me. A good foothold in the gospel of peace. Now, fourthly, the shield of faith. A particularly nasty weapon in those days was the arrow that was tipped with bitumen, set on fire, and then fired at the enemy troops. Now, the Roman soldier had a shield that was big enough to protect pretty much his entire body. But the shield was made of wood. So before battle, he would soak his shield in water. And then, when those fiery arrows rained down he would be fully protected against them. Let's just see how the shield of faith can extinguish some of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Does the devil whisper to you sometimes that God may have deserted you? Faith cites God's promise from Hebrews 13 and chapter 5. Never will I leave you. Never will. Will I forsake you? Does Satan accuse you of being a weak and ineffective Christian? Faith 
remembers the words of Jesus, Matthew 12 and verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Do you sometimes feel tempted almost to breaking point? Faith says with Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Does evil sometimes seem overwhelming to you? Faith says with Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Are you prone to doubt the power of Jesus to save? Faith appropriates the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 29. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The shield of faith against the fiery arrows of the wicked one. Now, fifthly, the helmet of salvation. This is the helmet of victory. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17, the helmet of salvation is one of the pieces of armor worn by God himself. The Lord put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul refers to the hope of salvation as a helmet. He means that the decisive battle has already been fought and won. You cannot be truly a child of God one day and then lost the next. God has saved you. Satan cannot fatally injure you. In this life, each of us is immortal till our work is done. And in the, life to come, in the life to come, we shall live with Christ, loving him and serving him forever. The helmet of salvation. And then there is sixthly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Gospel truths and scriptural arguments will be found, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians and chapter 10, will be found to have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did not Christ himself, when tempted by the devil, repel him time and time again with rapier-like thrusts? It is written, and again it is written. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. To be a Christian, then, is to be a soldier. The chances are, when you were baptised, no sooner had you been signed with the sign of the cross than you were given the following charge. Fight valiantly under the banner of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your life. That was the moment when you put your armour on, and you will not take it off again until you breathe your last breath on this earth. But there is just one thing still missing. Even a soldier who is fully armed will be completely ineffective if he either lacks courage or is out of contact with his commander. 
And that, for the Christian soldier, is where prayer comes in. Do you remember Ruth saying early on in our service, you can be fully prepared for Christian mission without the, without the power of God through prayer. It's nothing. So Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keeping on, keep on praying for all of the saints. What a remarkably comprehensive call to prayer there in verse 18. Prayer is God's chosen means of carrying on his work in the world. Prayer connects us with God's almighty power. Prayer makes effective each and every item of the Christian's armour. And with the armour fully in place, and with prayer, can we trust God to give his people the victory? Yes, we can. Because D-Day is already over. Jesus has come into the world and has defeated the devil. Jesus himself said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yes, we can trust God to give his people victory because VE Day is nearer now than when we first believed. Our Saviour will return. This time, not as a lamb to the slaughter, but as King of kings and Lord of lords. What better motivation can we have to be strong in the Lord and in his his mighty power? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Amen.